Do we have another? It's not an auction. I'm not selling off good evenings. But uh, if you're having one, you could reply if you want to. We have several that are out tonight. We have several that are sick. And um, a couple out of town as well. And just uh, pray for one another, for health, strength, and all of those uh, necessary things, all right? But I'm glad that you're here tonight, and I want you to take your Bibles and turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, please. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And we're in this last section of this epistle or letter that Paul wrote to this young church in Thessalonica. And if you've been with us, of course, you've walked through every chapter and verse of this letter as we've worked our way through. I think we've been here for almost a year in this study, and uh, we're about to bring it to a close in maybe the next handful of weeks anyway. But this last section is, is really verses 12 down through 22, which we won't read all of them, these verses here. We're mainly focusing on, on verses 12 and 13 right now, but this last section is really about instruction for life in the church. It's very practical, it's basic, it's very straightforward, it's very direct, and it's instruction for the function of a healthy church. And that's where we've been the last few weeks, is the responsibilities for a healthy church. And healthy churches don't just happen by accident. Healthy churches require some things of its members, it requires some things of its pastors. And each has responsibilities, and when each is fulfilling their responsibilities, it works toward the health and, and well-being of this body, uh, the, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Paul is writing to the church in Thessalonica with these same uh, requirements, with these same responsibilities, and he concludes this letter to this young church, and he does so with these practical instructions, counsel about responsibilities in the local church. We said that we would look at it from two different angles. Number one, the members' responsibilities, and then number two, the pastor's responsibilities. And we found these in verses 12 and 13. Let's read these again. In verse 12, Paul says, And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake, and be at peace among yourselves. We considered, first of all, the members' responsibilities, and there were three of them that we found in verses 12 and 13. Verse 12 says, We beseech you to know them which labor among you in the Lord. Verse 13 then says, To esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. And then the third thing was, the third responsibility was to be at peace among yourselves. The first one was to know them. To know them, and that meant uh, to, to value, to appreciate, to consider, and to understand them. Paul said, you need to make it your business to know your spiritual leaders, to know their burdens, to know their battles, to know their estate as well. And then Paul said also, you should esteem them. And he said in verse 13, to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. The word esteem means to think well. It means to consider very highly 
is an interesting word. The word actually means to superabound, but but it's the it's translated another way in Ephesians chapter three and verse twenty, and it's translated as exceeding abundantly. Where that verse says God is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. And so Paul says, in essence here, that the church should hold their spiritual leaders, their pastors, in the highest regard in love. And he says to know them and to esteem them, all the pastors, not just the presiding pastor, and to do it for their work's sake. That phrase means a high valuation of the office. Esteem them, hold them in the highest regard in love because of a high valuation of the office that they hold. Their work is overseeing, guarding, shepherding those whom Christ has bought with His own blood. And the third responsibility for a healthy church was to be at peace among yourselves. And we discussed this last week, that if you stir up strife in the church by complaining, or you get into personal squabbles with other church members, you make the pastor's job a lot more difficult. But not only that, you are damaging the body, your body, the one, the body that you are a part of, and I should say the Lord's body. That needs to be kept in mind that this church belongs to the Lord. And Jesus Christ doesn't take kindly to those who would try to do damage to the body. We need to keep that in mind. That should be a good safeguard for us, you know, when we've got a little bit of a beef with a brother or a sister. Wait a second. There's a higher thing here than my feelings. There's a higher thing going on here than, than the way uh, I perceive things. This is the Lord's church. And we talked about being at peace among yourselves, and peace should rule in the hearts of God's people. So, Paul is primarily addressing church members here in verses 12 and 13. Those are the church members' responsibilities. However, embedded in this context in Paul's request, because he says, we beseech you, brethren, inside of that are some responsibilities of church leaders. And again, this list is not comprehensive, but I want us to consider what Paul mentions here concerning the leader's responsibilities and how all of these work together for the health of a New Testament church. Again, look at verse 12. We beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. Paul is talking about the pastor's responsibilities. A pastor is not a lord over the church, nor is he to be a dictator over God's people. Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 5, and verse 1, The elders which are among you I exhort who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being in samples to the flock. 
Peter says concerning elders, he says, I'm also an elder. Here's the instruction. You need to feed the flock. You need to take the oversight. You need to do it willingly. You need to have a ready mind. And we'll not break all of these verses down, but he says this is God's heritage. And you need to be an example of the flock. And so the pastor is not to be a lord over God's heritage because it's God's. It doesn't belong to him. However, God has ordained the office of the pastor, and that office is to be viewed with respect and with humility because it comes with great responsibility. And so I want us to consider what Paul had to say to Thessalonica concerning the responsibilities of the pastors. The first thing that he speaks of here is their labors. Verse 12, he says, Know them which labor among you. Paul speaks of their labors. You know, some people look at the job of a pastor as not a real job, which in one sense, maybe it's not a real job. It's a calling more than anything. But there's that old joke that being a pastor doesn't pay very well, but the hours are great from 11 to 12 on Sunday. That's what you got to do. Some say a pastor doesn't work. He does a little reading during the week, and then he gives him a little talk on Sunday. And that is a wrong perception of what the office of a pastor is. And the word itself, where Paul says to know them that labor among you, actually opens up a whole new understanding of what it really entails. The word labor here means to work hard. It means to toil. It means to feel fatigue. And it's an interesting term that actually reveals a lot to us because it carries another meaning to it. It involves much more than just working or laboring among people. It goes beyond just a simple job or a task. The word has the idea of laboring to the point of exhaustion and then keeping on laboring. Even when one has become weary, to toil to the point of weariness, but then to work beyond what one is capable of. That's what the, the, the connotation or the, the, the meaning of that word is. That's a description of the ministry and a role as a pastor. Paul said in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 11 that God gave to the churches some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints and for the work of the ministry. Now I want you to remember what Paul said to the church in Thessalonica back in chapter 2. He said in chapter 2 and verse 9, turn back there, he says, For ye remember, brethren, our labor and travail for laboring night and day, because we would not be chargeable unto any of you, we preached unto you the gospel of God. Now, Paul might be talking about some physical labors here, laboring night and day. But when he says, you remember our labor and travail, so that we wouldn't be chargeable to any of you, his physical labors were still related to the labors of the ministry. Now, look in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 10. 
Paul, writing to the church in Corinth, says, But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and His grace, which was bestowed upon me, was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. So here Paul says he labored more abundantly than anyone. He says, but yet not I, it was the grace of God working in me. Here's where it ties back to toiling to the point of weariness, to, to, to labor to the point of exhaustion, but then keep on laboring. Paul says he labored, he toiled to the point of weariness, but then beyond because of the grace of God, which was with him, enabled him. Look at Philippians chapter 2 with me. Philippians chapter 2. In verse 16. Holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. Here Paul gives the reason for his labors. And again, every church that he writes to, he talks about the work of the ministry as labors. And the reason to labor was so that he would be accepted of the Lord, to please the Lord. That was his motivation. Look in Colossians chapter 1. Colossians 1 and verse 28. Talking about Christ, Paul says, whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus, whereunto I also labor, striving according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. Paul says the thing that he was laboring for was that Christ would be formed in people. And he says it's labor. He says it's work, it's labor, striving according to the working of God in him. Now, I just gave you a sampling, but every church, every one of these is churches he's writing to. And in every place, he talks about the work of the ministry as labor. In Thessalonica, he said to know them which labor among you. Paul doesn't reveal that, the effort or the labor in order to receive sympathy. He doesn't do it in arrogance. He's simply revealing the heart of God's man for the work that he's been called to. Paul's commitment to the churches wasn't limited by his physical weakness or his weariness. Even when his body was tired and he didn't feel like doing anything else, he continued to labor among them to the point of exhaustion. And then beyond, he told the churches... You need to understand that. You need to understand that. You need to know that. But now look at 1 Timothy chapter 5 with me. First Timothy chapter 5 and verse 17. Paul says, Let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor especially they who labor in the word and doctrine. For the scripture saith, Thou shalt not muzzle the ox that treadeth out the corn, and the laborer is worthy of his reward. 
Paul writes here, and he says that the elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. That's what those words mean. When he says to, especially they who labor, that's the work hard, in word and in doctrine, in preaching and in teaching. Now, double honor refers both to respect and to financial compensation, but that double honor is to go to those who work hard at preaching and teaching. To do that job well, friend, is hard work. At least for me, I'll tell you what, messages don't just float down from heaven every week onto a piece of paper. It requires hours of labor and work. Now, I know that there are preachers today who are lazy and who only are seeking to benefit themselves, and they use the church and they use the ministry as a stepping stone in their career path. But those are hirelings. Those are not God-called men, the man of God who has his heart right, who's devoted to the church that he serves in and its work, doesn't have a problem laboring among the church even beyond the point of exhaustion. He'll go beyond and he'll do what others aren't willing to do by the grace of God because he wants to please God. And he wants Christ to be formed in the people. On the other hand, the church has an obligation to pray for its pastors and to encourage them in the labors that they are engaged in. Look in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 with me. 2 Thessalonians 3 and verse 1. And note what Paul says here to the church in Thessalonica in his second letter. He says, In chapter 3 and verse 1, Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified even as it is with you. Paul says you need to pray for us that the word of the Lord would have free course and the church would benefit themselves to be mindful of the labors of their pastors. But then the pastors need to make sure that they are laboring among the people. And those two things work hand in hand for the health of a church. Go back to our text in 1 Thessalonians 5 and look at the second thing, the second part of verse 12. He says, We beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord. The second thing, the second responsibility is their oversight in the Lord. Their labors and then their oversight in the Lord. Here Paul deals with the leadership of the pastor. He's the under-shepherd, the leader of the church. The, The phrase, over you, that you find here, it means to preside. The word preside means to exercise guidance or control and to occupy a place of authority. So Paul says to Know them that labor among you and are over you in the Lord, that preside, that that exercise guidance or control and occupy a place of authority. Now, 
as I said, that doesn't imply that he is a lord over the church or a dictator of the church because Paul qualifies that statement with the very next statement that he makes. He says they're over you in the Lord. That phrase, in the Lord, it means an instrument of the Lord. So it's talking about those who exercise guidance or control, who occupy that place of authority as an instrument of the Lord himself. Paul said, excuse me, Peter said in 1 Peter 5 and verse 2, I quoted you this verse already, feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof. Neither is being lords over God's heritage. So the presiding pastor is not a lord. However, God has placed the pastor in a position of leadership. Do you remember when the Apostle Paul called the elders or the pastors of the church at Ephesus back in Acts chapter 20? He called them all together. And he was speaking with them concerning what his instruction for them was when he was gone because they weren't going to see his face anymore. And Paul said to them, to the pastors, in Acts 20 and verse 28, he said, he said to take heed unto yourselves and unto the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers. That overseers of that verse, it means to take the general charge of. That's not something that a man takes upon himself. That's God-given. And Paul writes to Thessalonica, and he says to understand and know those that labor among you and are over you in the Lord, an instrument of the Lord. And this is important to remember and understand, especially for a pastor, because the Bible tells us that he's going to give an account to God for the church that he pastors. It's the Lord's heritage. Hebrews 13, 17. Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls as, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> as they that must give account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. And the application here is this. <coughs> the responsibility of being an overseer or being over the church in the Lord, that responsibility includes the management or the oversight of all aspects of the church. It means preaching the Word of God. It means guarding the flock from false teaching. It means guiding them in the ways of the Lord. It it means helping resolve issues of strife or conflict in the church between members, overseeing the finances of the church, providing overall direction for the church, for the ministries. It's labor and it's oversight. And pastors are not to carry out those responsibilities by lording it over the flock, but by rather by being examples and by gentle exhortation. And here's where that responsibility coincides with the church members' responsibilities, because God will honor those who support and encourage the leadership that God has set in place, rather than bucking against it. Do I need to say it again? God will honor And He will bless those who support and encourage the leadership that He has put in place rather than bucking against it. 
It's not something that man has devised, but the God-given order of a New Testament church. Hebrews 13, 7, Remember them which have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation. That phrase, to rule over you, in Hebrews 13, 7, it means to lead, and it means to command with official authority. Whose authority? God's. But understand this. Any God-given authority is primarily a responsibility and not a perk. Let me tell you, friend, any God-given authority is a responsibility and not a perk. But those under authority also need to submit to the authority. And when everybody's doing their job, the church is healthy. So we've seen their labors, we've seen their oversight, and then thirdly, look at the last part of verse 12. We see their admonition. He says, To know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. The word admonish means to put in mind, it means to caution, and it means to reprove. It has the nuance of giving verbal correction whether that's individually, on a one-on-one basis, or when teaching in a larger group. Paul says that you need to understand the labors and the oversight, but also the admonishment. Paul used this same word when he was speaking to those Ephesian elders that we talked about a minute ago who came to meet him. Only the word is translated in English as to warn. Go to Acts chapter 20 with me. Acts 20 and verse 31. He says, Therefore watch... And remember that by the space of three years, I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears. That is the exact same Greek word that is translated as admonish in our text. So it gives us a little bit of another connotation of what it means to admonish, to warn everyone night and day. What's interesting is if you go back to our text in 1 Thessalonians 5, in verse 14... Paul uses the very same word as admonish, only it's translated as to warn. But this he speaks of in context of the church members' responsibilities towards one another. He says in verse 14, Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly. That's the same word. Only this time it's the church members' responsibility towards one another. And we'll talk about that the next time. But Paul says here to keep in mind, to know the, those who labor and who are over you in the Lord and who admonish you is part of the responsibilities of a pastor. But let me tell you this. Honestly, admonishing someone is never a pleasant task. It is not something that is, that, that is uh, fun to do or that is taken lightly. And if you have that 
role on your job as a boss and you've got to give some correction, some verbal correction to someone for, for a job that, that, that they should have done a different way or better, uh, you, you know it's not a fun task. But it's necessary. Why isn't it fun? Well, because many times the one being admonished is going to resist your counsel or they're going to attack you in response because they don't want to face their own issues. But if a pastor cares about the individual, him or her, and wants him or her to be all that God wants him or her to be, which is the heart of Paul, that Christ be formed in you, then he must admonish them if they're heading toward a spiritual cliff to warn them, to correct them, to reprove them. A good shepherd doesn't watch a sheep stray toward a cliff and then say, hmm, that sure seems dumb. I bet you they're going to fall over the edge. No, the shepherd, because he sees the danger, does everything that he can do to keep that sheep from harm and from danger with that verbal correction. I can't make anybody do anything, and I'm not going to try. But I sure better say something. And so should you, honestly, and we'll talk about that in the next verses. But the main job of a faithful pastor is to preach the word. And that involves reproving, rebuking, and exhorting. Look at 2 Timothy 4. I think it's so interesting how much the Apostle Paul has to say about these things in the churches and to pastors. 2 Timothy chapter 4 in verse 2, Paul tells Timothy, Preach the word, be instant, in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort, with all long suffering and doctrine. But then Paul explains a little further here in verses 3 and 4. Why? For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers, having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth, and shall be turned unto fables. Paul said the time is coming. Here's why you need to be instant, in season and out of season, and reprove and rebuke and exhort uh, the people. Why? Because the time is coming when they're not going to endure it, and they don't want to hear the truth, and they're going to heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. Listen, friend, that time is now. Paul said the time is coming, but that time is now. Listen, listen, listen. You don't want to be in a church where the pastor always gives feel-good messages. If the message from the pulpit never steps on your toes, then the preacher isn't doing his job of preaching the whole counsel of God. Because listen, the Word of God often will step on our toes. People go shopping with that consumer mentality for a church that fits my needs or has the programs that I want or gives us that feel-good sensation. What you need is to be where the Word of God is preached. 
where there's exhortation and admonishment. And listen, the whole counsel of God, because like I said, the whole counsel of God means, listen, it means that the whole Word of God is being preached, and when the Word of God is preached, it's going to step on our toes. But it never does that to harm us, but rather to correct us so that we'll be blessed by lives that conform to the image of Jesus Christ. That is the responsibility of a pastor. And as far as members go, if admonishment comes into your life, you should assume that your pastor is admonishing you because he loves you and he cares about you. And don't react or think or say, who does he think he is? What gives him the right to correct me? Well, God's Word says that God gave him that responsibility, and it isn't an easy responsibility. And also, as a side note, as far as the members go, you know what? A pastor should never have to wonder if you're still going to be a member of the church if admonishment comes to you. There should be a love for God and His Word and His church that overrides anything else. And an understanding that this is most definitely for my good and my spiritual well-being. So Paul says to the church, know them that labor among you, that are over you, that take the oversight and admonish you in the Lord. And all of these responsibilities being met by the church members, by the pastors, all of that leads to a good, healthy relationship in a New Testament church. So let's just review for a second and then will be done. Healthy relationships and healthy churches don't just happen. They require certain responsibilities. Number one, as church members, you're responsible to recognize and respect church leaders, to esteem them very highly in love, to live in peace with other church members. But then number two, pastors are responsible to work diligently in shepherding the flock, to have the charge over the church in the Lord, to admonish the church as needed, and when everyone is fulfilling their responsibilities, there's a good, healthy church that can ultimately do what God has commanded us to do. Which is what? Go in the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Let's strive to be healthy. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. And Lord, I'm thankful for this church, for your people, for the Spirit that is here, the love for the Lord, the love for each other. Lord, I pray that you would protect us. Lord, that there would always be that healthy spirit and attitude among God's people. That this body would continue to grow in love with the Lord and in love with each other. Lord, to continue to do what you've commanded us to do. The same heart and the same mind the church in Jerusalem. It is said of that church in Acts several times, they were of one accord in one place. They had the same care, the members one for another. 
And Lord, I pray that you would protect the health of this church. And may we strive for that end always. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.